Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of Effie Church, and this is our podcast. Kingdom Come. Kingdom Come. This series is launched out of uh, what Jesus told his disciples to pray. He said, Our Father, who art in heaven, he, he paints. Um, come on, that's funny. Our Father, who art in heaven, he's a painter. All right, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And his kingdom is coming. Indeed, it is now here, Jesus said. And in week one, I talked, as Isaiah mentioned, about every kingdom has a few things. It's got a king, it's got subjects, and it has a castle or a physical location. That physical location is our church, our people, it's us. We are his kingdom here on earth, and we get to bring the kingdom with us. And, and in that message... I laid out the fact that if God is king, what does that mean? You know, Americans, we don't have a king. <laughs> There's always a, a balance, checks and balances in our government that gives us the ability to make an appeal to any governing authority over us. We can say, well, I don't agree. I'm going to take it. I'm, let's, let's argue this. I have my rights. You know, but with a kingship, with a monarchy, we don't get that say. He says it. We do it. That's the rules. And in that message, I talked a lot about challenging things that God tells us to do. And, and, and I realized something throughout my week that, that it feels like maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I don't think I am. Maybe I'm wrong that, that it feels like we've been in a season of sermon after sermon, week after week, of intentionally challenging messages. To the point that maybe you feel like you leave here beat up more than you leave here built up. Maybe sometimes you feel like I just can't sit there and have them flesh out all of my wounds for everyone to see. Have you ever, I know I have been in sermons where it feels like Candace is preaching just to me and everyone can see my sin because she's talking about me. Now, I'm friends with her, so I guess that is an actual possibility, but for many of us, it isn't that way, but we still feel that way. That she's talking about me and everyone knows. They're like, what, like, this is why I don't love that so many people know I'm a pastor by trade. I'll walk up to people and they immediately are like, what's he going to yell at me for? Like I'm the principal. Like, like, or I'll walk in a room and people will just straighten up. Or, Listen, if you feel beat up, it is not intentional. It, it has not been designed that way, but there's been some reasonings behind it. It's because living in the kingdom of God is complicated. It's complicated. There's complications here in our kingdom, complications that go beyond the simple, just follow God and everything will go well for you. Just follow God and everything will be easy. Just submit to his rules and you will never have a problem. There's a lot of truth in many of those statements I've just said, but there's also a lot of reality that I avoided in saying those truths. Because if you believe that everything will go well for you, if you would just behave better or do things better or serve more or give more or, or be in church more. I have two perfect examples for you. One is Aaron, and he's sitting in a hospital room right now with a third kidney. Can we get an amen? Come on. That's a celebration this week. Our, our worship pastor has been struggling with kidney failure for the past 18 months, and originally I thought they took out his kidneys and put in one, but that's not how it works. So now Aaron has three kidneys. Only one works. But he's got three of them, so I'm just going to make fun of him for that forever. He, he's, he's, got, he's got more organs than he should. 
But it's just an amazing thing that, that, but while we can celebrate that victory in this moment, what about those 18 minutes, 18 months? Can we, can we celebrate those as easily? What about a wife, a senior pastor, a mother, a leader who has to walk through with her husband his most intimate and most weak moments of his life, praying to her God, her king, for any kind of respite? Was that easy or was that complex? Was that difficult? And sometimes if you talk, actually all the time, if you talk to any Christian who has been a follower of God for more than a few years, 5, 10, 20 years, you will hear stories of how they just have sat on the edge of the bed saying, why God? Why me? Why like this? Why my family? Why would you allow my child to be taken from me? We don't like to talk about that, but there are Christians who have lost the child. Can you imagine something worse than that? It is difficult to be a follower of a king who can heal and watch when he doesn't. It can be difficult to watch a loved one go through a season like we have watched Aaron go through. Aaron is an incredibly strong individual who I have looked up to for as long as I've known him. And I have watched him walk through a heart-wrenching ordeal. And I've watched him walk through with his chin up and facing as much of the issues head-on as he can. But it has not been easy. And it wasn't until... Um, Wednesday when I got the, well, maybe it was Tuesday, maybe I woke up Wednesday, whatever, I got the message that Aaron's out, everything's great, that I could actually breathe. I could have a moment of, the worst is over. And I, in that moment, it was not the celebration that I thought it would be. For many of us, it was absolutely a celebration where we could just be, woohoo, it's over. For me, it was a releasing of the tension and an acknowledgement that it had been there for 18 months. I have had this week the, the stress and struggle and difficulty, the feelings of being beaten up that I described earlier in my own heart because I did not address them over the past 18 months. In many ways, I have just been going, getting through, moving on, ignoring not treating, not connecting, not acknowledging, trying to hide my struggle, internalize it. Because my leaders are going through a hard time. They, they, they're the ones who need the attention. And it's, it's God's in control and God's in control and God's in control and God's in control. And it's one of those things that I said so many times, maybe I stopped believing it. Rather saying it so many times, I couldn't help but believe it. There was a difference in the way I was doing it. And those struggles for me are something that I felt God tell me I needed to share. In preparation for this kingdom message, I had some really cool ideas and some really creative ways that I wanted to communicate some ideas. But when it came down to it, I realized that maybe being a subject of the kingdom might be the most difficult challenge you have in your life. And maybe some of you feel like you just can't do it, but others can. Let me tell you that there is no believer exempt from the complications of the kingdom of God. None of us ever get to ignore the reality in front of us. And I wanna talk through some of the complications I've felt in my own life over the past 18 months. Um, this message is an interesting one. Normally I am fairly certain where I'm going to go and what I'm going to say. I, I like it that way. I, I like having a plan, um, writing it out. 
But today I'm just going to go through a few verses and I'm going to follow wherever he leads. Because of that, I want to start with prayer because I don't want to go wherever I'm leading. I want to go where he's leading. So would you pray with me and continue to pray throughout this service? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you accept our weaknesses. That they actually can become our strengths. Today is we acknowledge that it is okay to struggle. It is okay to be weak sometimes. I ask that we would strive to put on what is necessary to pull ourselves out of it. That you would be the driving power, the force inside of this sermon. That you, Holy Spirit, would communicate words through me that I did not intend. That you would speak to hearts words I didn't even say. So that every individual within the sound of my voice who watches online, who listens later, every individual would know the words that you would like to speak to them. Heavenly Father, communicate better than I ever could. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So through this entire season where I have felt beat down, beat up, just dragged through the mud, I felt like hard-packed soil trampled under the feet of people much stronger than me, um, I have had a few struggles. One was my own thoughts of failure and thoughts of guilt. I've had, I've had thoughts that I am a failure, thoughts that I am guilty of so much that, that maybe this is why. These thoughts of failure, if I was living up to God's call, he would certainly never allow these type things. I've had those thoughts. I've also had feelings of inadequacy, that even if I did my best, it would still never be good enough to meet the needs of those around me. Wow, when I say that right now, it sounds really stupid. But it's the feelings I've had, and I, I want to acknowledge them and get them out. The feelings that I wasn't good enough for my family, good enough for my friends, good enough for my students in my youth ministry, good enough to be here on the stage, good enough to keep up with the two individuals I look up to so much that I wasn't good enough. There's also been an incredible tendency towards a victim mentality where everything is happening to me, woe is me, like a dog with his tail between his legs because the owners come home and he knows what he's done, just walking around sulking in my own self-pity, knowing that because it happened to me, that defines who I am, or feeling that way at least. And those, those three different feelings, the feelings of guilt and failure, the feelings of, of victim mentality and the feelings of inadequacy have honestly led me to a place where I have had to, on occasion, put on a facade to present what I want to believe to be true. And that's an important thing. But it wasn't acknowledging my truth and then choosing a different truth. It was saying, of course I'm a failure, but I can't present that failure to people because they won't accept me. I had those thoughts, those feelings, those stresses. And to acknowledge them is incredibly difficult. It is painful. Over the past few months, what we've been doing in services is hoping to help individuals acknowledge our struggles and that's what I want to do today. So I looked to God's word because I believe that there is power in the word of God. That if I have a problem, I have a place that I can go. If there is an issue, I can find a verse and a passage. I can find what God speaks to in that issue. So I went to God's word this week and I found uh, a chapter. It is, it is probably one of the best and most important chapters in all of scripture to an evangelical Christian. Uh, at college, they had a, had a statement that they told me. He's like, how do you know an evangelical Christian? And I was like, oh, good, a joke. 
It's like, drop open their Bible, it'll fall to Romans 8. If you drop their Bible on its spine, to Romans 8. Because if you read Romans 8 start to finish, man, are you challenged, are you convicted, and you're built up. So it's my goal today that as we read Romans 8, we're challenged and convicted, but more than anything, we're lifted up. So we're going to go right to Romans 8. This is addressing my thoughts of failure and guilt. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin and death that leads to death. I want to read verse 1 one more time. There is no, not there is some, not there is occasional, not there is some for Jason, not there is some for Jill, not there is some for Susan, not there is some for Jack. No, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. With the power of Jesus Christ, with the presence of Jesus Christ, freedom from condemnation. Can somebody celebrate that because it's a big deal? Listen, I, maybe, maybe you don't understand because I need to define it for you. Here's the difference between condemnation and conviction. If you go to court because you have committed a crime or been accused of a crime, regardless of the truth in that fact, whatever the judge says is the condemnation. Here is the punishment. If you're found guilty, there is a condemnation. I condemn you to death. You have to pay that price. There is no way out of it. You are guilty. You are condemned. Inside of Christ Jesus, if I have received Christ Jesus, if I follow Christ Jesus, guess what I no longer have to face? The punishment for my actions. However, there is something that is real in the Bible, and it's called conviction. Conviction is different. We use them as synonyms, but there is a difference in the biblical definition, so we need to cover that. Biblical condemnation, you are condemned for what you do. Biblical convictions, you are convicted by what you do so that you are aware of it, not so that you are a slave to it. And if there is no condemnation through Christ Jesus, I am no longer a slave to my sin. I am no longer a slave to the power of sin and death. Over the past few months, I have, I have felt guilty, and I want to talk through some of that. In my, in my home groups, I'm able to be a little bit more raw than I have been able to be on weekends. So I've told them, and this won't be news to those who are close to me, that I have been struggling deeply with feelings of of, of struggling faith, not doubt in who God is, but doubt in, who my, in what my relationship with God is, that I'm not good enough, that I, I am not close enough to him, that I am not doing enough, that I am falling short time, and again, feeling so guilty that God would give me this place to stand and speak when I know who I am, or at least I think I do. When I put on this image of myself that is less than, that is not good enough, have you ever thought of yourself as less than and not good enough? Have you ever looked at your actions and say, I am so sinful. I try and I try and I try and I still fall short. Let me tell you about the difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation says if you tried and you failed, your trying doesn't matter. You still failed. That's condemnation. Conviction says if you tried and you failed, you tried. Keep trying. I have allowed myself to feel condemned for my issues, for my mistakes, for my inadequacies, for my falling short, for my sin, for my guilt, because there is still sin in my life, and I am still guilty of that sin. But guess what? I need and am still trying. 
And while God is convicting me of that, he has not condemned me. You know who's been condemning me? Me. You know who is our harshest judge? Savior, ourselves. Now, if there is a sin issue you are convicted of on a weekly occasion and you just feel beaten down because of that conviction, guess what the Holy Spirit's telling you? I want to help you through this. Not, I want to leave you in this. Because we feel so stuck as slaves to the power of sin and death. Can you throw verse 2 up there again? And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power that leads to sin and death. If Jesus is in you, you are free from the power of sin and death. I was a slave to sin. In the past few months, I have felt like a slave to sin, but I am not a slave to sin. Before I met Jesus, I absolutely was. Now you know what I am a slave to? My Savior. It's a weird thing, but discipline equals freedom. So if I submit myself to his discipline, I will find the freedom I'm searching for. So when I see the conviction in my life, I must recognize it. He's convicting me, and that's okay, so I can find freedom in him. But what I have been doing to, to be honest and fair and just and open and accountable and, and really real, I have been saying, I'm, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. And, and there have been times throughout this, this season that I have brought it to the foot of the cross. I have brought it under the cross. But it, it is not the consistency that I'm looking for. I have been consistently feeling condemned when I should have been consistently acknowledging my conviction. And here's the thing. I was in those moments a slave to sin when I needed to be freed from my slavery to sin by becoming a slave to God. There is no situation in the life we're presented where you're, you are not a slave to something. I want to be the slave to the one who will help me out of my struggle. I want to be a slave to the one who paid the greatest price possible for me, who so valued me as his slave that he bought me with his own life, that he took the price for me on him. And because of that, guess what I get to do? I get to be free from that condemnation I have felt. While I've been watching my friends go through struggles, I have ignored my own spiritual health. I have stated to myself, I'll deal with it after. I just need to make it until Aaron's healed. I just need to make it until there. Rather than acknowledging every day, if I'm the healthiest spiritually that I could possibly be, acknowledging Christ as my Savior, stepping away from that condemnation, acknowledging the conviction and continuing to try to follow him, I would have been so much more able to help, support, and love. Rather, I said, I can't deal with it right now. I got to take care of somebody else. You will never get yourself right with God by trying other people. You cannot fix or work yourself out of your issues. You can only submit as a slave to your Savior and find the freedom that comes in Him. So submit yourself under the cross. Acknowledge your Savior and find the freedom He's calling you to because you are no longer a slave to sin. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. If you have felt condemned on any Saturday or Sunday over the past 18 months, I wanna, I wanna first say I apologize that, that there was condemnation outside of the cross, but if you have come under Jesus... Conviction is your new way. And conviction says, are you trying? Are you trying? I sit with my toddler and I'll talk to him. He's, he's starting to get homework in kindergarten. It's so cute. And we have some wonderful kindergarten teachers. Thank you for the work you do. I definitely couldn't. 
And, and he comes home and he's, he's doing his H and then his E, which is bigger than his H. And then his R, which is perfect. He's got that one, guys. And then his O. And, and I'm sitting there with him and he's like, I just can't. My brain's telling me I want to play. Those are his exact words. Isn't it cute? And I'm like, are you trying, hero? Yeah. Are you trying your best? Yeah. Then that's what I want for you. And our Heavenly Father's a way better dad than me. So he looks at us, drawing our E's way too big. And he says, you're doing it. You're, you're trying. I love you. Let's, let's try to shrink that E a little bit. Let's try to get it under the line because you'd be doing so much better if it was under the line. But I love you. Go play now. He loves us. He's not saying, get those E's right, right now. That's not our God. That's not our Father. Because there's no condemnation. Yes, he corrects and he convicts and he conjoles and he lifts up, but he's not. He doesn't have a magnifying glass out there inspecting the E, making sure that it's perfect. He's our king and we're under him. Don't forget the message two weeks ago. If you got to go back and watch it, go back and watch it. And I don't know if you heard this this week. We're actually launching a podcast to make it much easier for you guys to watch these on the go. Yeah, the team's worked incredibly hard on this. And I've listened to a lot of church podcasts. Ours, the, the sound quality and the editing, top-notch, guys. Like, like, if you like podcasts, get ready to, get ready to listen to it. Um, so, so go back. Watch the sermon two weeks ago if you missed it because he is our king and we must submit under him. But he's also a loving king that doesn't condemn us. Next, I want to talk about, <laughs> this one's going to hurt me a lot, the hero trap. The hero trap. I was trying to be superhero. I love Marvel movies. Any Marvel fans out there, like, just, if a Marvel movie comes, if they sold a lifetime subscription ticket, I just buy it. They're going to get the money every time the movie comes out anyway. I might as well pay it all in one lump sum. Like, I love Marvel movies because I love watching the hero be victorious. You know, they're not complicated and, and, and like, difficult like the DC movies where it's like, who's really the hero? He's kind of a bad guy. I'm all sad. No, it's just Captain America standing there with a shield saying, I can do this all day. He'll face down an army and he'll bring it on and he's the hero. And who doesn't want to be that hero to the people around them? The hero to their family, the one who's perfect to their friends, the one who, who looks at your friend who's sick and dying and just says, I know you're fine. Everything's going to be fine. There's nothing wrong. Who wants? And, and I'll take the weight of the world on my shoulders. That trap has been way too enticing to me for this season, where I have wanted to pretend I'm everything I'm not, rather than acknowledging who I am and who I'm supposed to call to be. And this has led to feelings of inadequacy. So let's go to Romans 8, verse 11 just moving through the chapter. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. Lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. You know, we don't, I, I think sometimes we don't realize the, we, we say, do you believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe he rose again from the dead? Let's pause for a second, shall we? Rose from the dead. We, we, we over-spiritualize it. We under-recognize it. Physically resurrected. Have you ever known a friend who's like, I've died before. I've been resuscitated because their heart stopped. There was no pulse. They weren't breathing. And the EMTs, they shock them and they come back to life. That's resuscitation. 
That's, that's resuscitation. Jesus was not resuscitated. Lightning didn't strike the tomb and he just went, oh man, where'd I go? I felt like I was gone for like 30 seconds. No, he was dead, decaying, laying in a tomb for three days and he was raised to life. That same spirit and power, according to, to Paul here in Romans, writing to a church he'd never been, he's never been here before either, speaking to you right now, that same power lives in you. This provides freedom from inadequacies. What does it matter if I don't feel like I'm enough or people tell me I'm not enough or people make me feel like I'm not enough accidentally? What does it matter? Because the spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. I can't raise anyone from the dead, can you? Has anyone else ever risen from the dead on their own power? He did. That same power lives in me. I'm not inadequate. I'm not, not good enough. I am completely filled with the presence of God. However, that becomes difficult. And I think it goes back to the fact that we, we lessen the work of the Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Can you remember that every day, that he was raised from the dead? He performed that miracle before he died. You know that, the story of Lazarus? An individual, his, one of his best friends in the world, who died and then Jesus actually did not rush to his side. If I hear somebody sick and they need CPR, I'm not gonna casually stroll. I am gonna run to them and provide that aid. Jesus heard his friend is sick and dying and he walks slowly there. And he arrives there three days later. Can you imagine the torture, the torment, the pain that his family felt at the loss of their loved one? Jesus allowed them to go through that. I have been mad at God that he would allow our church to go through this pain. And I know many of you have gone through far worse pains. You've had family members sick and dying who, who haven't been able to receive a kidney. You know, I didn't realize the, the, the far-reaching side effects of kidney failure until someone I know had it. And now other people are telling me that they've, they've got kidney failure. They've got issues, that they're sick, they're dying. People lose loved ones all the time. And we sit here and we're struggling. And I've been mad at God that he would put me through this. I'm not enough to fix this. Jesus allowed Lazarus's family to endure three days of mourning. But when he showed up, he said, Lazarus, come out. Because the Spirit of God has the power to raise the dead, how much more can it do in me? It can have me look at an individual who's struggling and say, God is in control. And really mean it. Not empty words. God's will will be done. It will be okay. And I have presented that as a facade, but in my quiet times, I've been sitting saying, I don't know if God's got it. Just, just so terrified. I've been declaring in faith, but not believing in my heart which is, is contradictory why there's been turmoil in me. I can now look back and recognize that I've been saying something I didn't believe, hoping I would believe it, and wasn't allowing myself to believe it because I was so afraid that if I believed it and it didn't happen, what would happen to my faith? And I think some of us have been there before. What if I say it and it doesn't happen? Can I survive that? Let's say I don't survive. What power is living in me? The same power that raised Christ from the dead. Should I believe that he'll raise me from the dead? That he will resurrect me, not resuscitate me? You know, one day all of us will be given new bodies, brought back from the dead so that we can have a physical body like our Savior had. Believe it. 
That same power is in you. And if it's in you, how dare I feel not good enough? I haven't felt good enough because of expectations. I hate expectations. I hate trying to live up to expectations. Now, let's pause because some expectations are good. There are some good expectations in society. For example, everyone here is expected to leave the house clothed. Congratulations, you lived up to that expectation. That is an actual expectation. Leave your house clothed. A perceived expectation might be that I have to leave dressed so nice that I impress everyone. That if I don't look good enough, people won't like me. If I don't dress well enough, I won't be accepted. That's a perceived expectation. Actual expectation, good. Perceived expectation, painful. Because who can live up to to ever-changing fashion trends? How much money do you have to spend every day to have a new outfit? I saw a post about, like, one of the, the, I don't, Kate, Princess Kate. Is that a, is that a princess? I'll wear all my pop culture friends. Yeah, that's a, that's a princess. They, there was a post from one of the tabloids that says, Princess Kate wears same blue coat three times. It's like, yeah, because that's what a coat is. Who wears a different coat every day? But that's the perceived expectation put on her that she needs to wear a new coat every day. Who could live up to that? Who should live up to that? When we allowed the perceived expectations of others to dictate our behavior or expectations of ourselves, we will never live up to them, and we will always feel like a failure, inadequate, not enough. I've, I've been allowing people's, or I've been allowing my perceived expectations from other people to make me feel like I can't live up to them. I cannot be all things to all people. There, there is a, when you work with students, with teenagers, um, it's, been a, it's been a tough couple months with me working with teenagers. And I know there's probably a couple in here. I'm sorry if this hurts. I really do love you guys. The past few months, I have called some of my youth pastor buddies and some very close uh, mentors in my life. And I've said, I, I don't know if I can keep doing it. It's just so hard. I love them so much, but it just doesn't seem like it matters to them sometimes. They just want things for me that I can't provide. It's like every one of them wants to be my favorite, and I, and I have to know every detail going on in all of their lives. And you know how, much, how quickly trends change now? <laughs> like, they used to last six months, then it was six weeks, then it was six days. Now things will come out and be gone the next day with TikTok. If you don't know what TikTok is, God bless you. You are a very fortunate individual. <laughs> it's like... It's like video after video after video after video, all like 10 seconds long, all with trends that I can't count, and I'm just supposed to know them. I cannot be enough for them. Now, I obviously know the truth. When I speak that out loud, it's clear for me to know I'm not expected to be enough for them, that I cannot be enough for them, that that expectation is a perceived one, not an actual one. The only actual expectation of my position is that I love them. And trust me, I do. But that perceived expectation has led me to a place where I have felt like if I don't quit, I will be failing them. That there has to be someone else out there. Someone younger. Someone better at connecting. Someone more creative. Someone who can do it better. And all of these things are ridiculous when I speak them out loud. But when I say them over and over and over in my head, I feel like I'm not good enough. Have you ever felt not good enough? Have you ever felt like no one would ever love you if they knew the real you? You know what? If Christ is in you, the same power that rose Christ from the dead is in you. Maybe start thinking about that power that lives up to and exceeds every expectation. 
here are the actual expectations you should be living up to. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Everything else will be credited to you as righteousness. But those are the actual expectations. Sometimes there are other things that we have to do to better follow our king, and those are convictions, and we're called out on those, and we need to do those. But the first expectations, love God, love people. Love God, love people. Are you doing that? Then let the perceived expectations of this world wash over you. There are individuals who would say, I am not a pastor because I have tattoos and wear a hat on stage. That I am a heretic because I have tattoos and I wear a hat on stage. That my actions go against my words because I have tattoos and wear a hat on stage. If I allowed those expectations to hold me to them, I would have to quit because I can't afford laser tattoo removal. <laughs> I would have to stop wearing hats, which I just don't really want to do because... And this is, this is a weekend where I'm having to be really open and vulnerable because I think I might be balding. So I just put the hats on and I'm good forever now. No one will ever know. There's, there's still hair there. You can see this tuft. All I need is that tuft. I'll glue a tuft right there and I'll be all set. Like, I don't have to live up to the expectations of this world. How freeing is that? When I become a slave to Jesus, I am free because I'm not having to live up to the expectations of this world. And when I put those expectations on me, I hurt myself. You become a slave to your Savior. Free yourself from the expectations of others and live up to the expectations of Him. Love God, love people. It's that simple. The complications of the kingdom come when we begin to add other things. When we start to look at at an individual who's sick, who, who is doing all the right things, and we think, if he's sick, then, then I'll, of course, get sick because I'm not as good as him. It doesn't matter. That's not how it works. We're in a fallen world. It's corrupt, and we get sick, and we die, and bad things happen. Feel good. This same Romans 8, this is where it says that he'll work all things to the good of those who love him or are called according to his purposes. You know that? So I felt inadequate, I felt like a failure, I felt guilty, but I've also felt like a victim because I've been beaten down by the things that are happening around me. I've, I've felt like a victim and I wanna to turn to Romans 8.31 in the end of this message and, and talk about an encouragement that Paul has for those who have legitimately been victimized. You know, he's writing to a church that is facing strong persecution. He's writing to a church that is facing, the, they're, they're based in Rome where it was illegal to follow any faith other than the Roman, worshiping the Roman gods. So if they found out they were a Christian, they would be punished, thrown to the lions, they would be abused, they would lose their livelihood, maybe even their citizenship. He's writing to individuals who are facing that. And he says, what shall I say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is standing at the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Leave that verse up for a second. Our God is fighting for us, always. 
If I feel like a victim, it's because I'm not acknowledging the battle happening on my behalf. I'm not acknowledging the blessings that I do not see. I am only focusing on the sicknesses or the illnesses or the weaknesses or the loss or the struggle or the financial issues in front of me or the challenges right in front of me. I'm, I'm not acknowledging the one who has been fighting on my behalf, slaying enemies I've never even seen, conquering those who would come against me. Our God is fighting for us. He died for us, was raised to life for us, is sitting at the place of honor at the right God, hand of God, pleading for us. The picture here is Jesus sitting at the right hand of God on the throne. Remember, he's the king that we must follow, and he's sitting there going, God, they're doing so good. They're trying so hard. They're following so much. Can we bless them more? Can we do more for them? And then that loving God is like, my grace is sufficient for them. I will pour it out in the blessings that they need, but I'll also allow the issues that will call them to a new place. But Jesus is sitting there pleading on your behalf. You are not a victim. You can be free from the victim mentality. Now listen, if you have been hurt, acknowledging that is important. If something has happened to you, acknowledging that is important. But do not allow yourself to stay stuck there. Because I have, and you know what I'm doing? I'm reliving my trauma. I'm forcing myself to stay in it when I should be saying, my God is fighting for me. The Spirit of God is in me. He loves me and nothing can come against me. If they hurt me, God can heal me. If they kill me, I'll be with God. What then can I say other than that? There is freedom from feelings of a victimhood that no one can take anything from me because my God has given me everything. Yes, I can be hurt and I don't want to remain hurt. So do not allow yourself to remain hurt. That's not what I'm saying here. Don't take this wrong. But acknowledge that he loves me enough that he does not call me a victim. Sometimes we feel like everyone knows what's happened to us. And we know that God knows what happens to us. And then we think, if everyone knows, they'll treat me differently. So then we think God will treat us differently because of what's happened to us. You know, we have this really interesting God who, while he sees everything, he chooses to focus on certain things. Where he says, you're not what you've done. You're not what you've, what's been done to you. You are who I say you are. You are my child. There have been a few times I've had to confess some things to my earthly father. Uh, I've mentioned it a few times, but it bears repeating. I was blessed with just a wonderful dad, just a great dad. And I, and I, thank, I thank God for him because he became saved when I was young. And I really feel like that, that forged the father that he became. Um, and a few times I've had to say, Dad, I, I lied to you. I lied to you in this way. Or, or I've, I know you would be ashamed of, but if I hold it in anymore, I can't. And on both occasions... On both occasions, before he said a word, he cried and hugged me. Because our Father does not view us by what we have done or what has been done to us. He views us by who we are. We are his child. My dad, when he heard my confession, only saw his son who was hurting and wanted to love him. And how much greater is our Heavenly Father? 
how much greater is our Heavenly Father? So if you have felt convicted in these services or condemned by our words, one, again, I apologize that it's been painful, but I say there is a God who's looking down on you who only sees you as his child and wants you to come so he can hug you, soak up your tears in his clothes, and help you in a new path. While yes, there is conviction in this kingdom, there are complications in this kingdom, we might have to walk through a season of difficulty. There is a God who is fighting on our behalf, who calls us his child, who puts the power of the spirit that raised Christ from the dead in us. So who can condemn us? Who can confront us? Who can challenge us? Because God is in our corner. And I know I've, I've said these words, and I've said these words throughout this season. But the difference in my own life is while I have said them for others, I have not proclaimed them for myself in the right way. So I would like to challenge you. There are two applications to my message, and the first is you need to start proclaiming some things over yourself. We do a thing in the church where, where we recognize that we are sinners, right? Have you ever done that? I'm a, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. Of course I'm a sinner, we all have sinned. And, and we'll say like, like everyone sins. We all sin, Jason sins, Candace sins, everyone sins. Maybe we should stop saying that so much and start saying, I'm a saint saved by grace. I am a saint saved by grace. I am a follower of God. I have made mistakes and I'll make them again maybe, but, but I'm gonna focus on what I want to be, not on what I don't want to be. Not I am a sinner, I am struggling. I am a saint who is striving to deal with it. Start declaring that over yourself. We as believers need to stop saying, I'm a sinner saved by grace and saying, I'm a saint saved by grace. From my sin, I am no longer a slave to sin, so I am not stuck in that. I am saved by grace. I am a saint. If you are a follower of Jesus and he lives in you, stop saying I'm a sinner. Yes, acknowledge when you make mistakes, but then strive towards the sainthood you're called to. Because if you can only say you're a sinner, guess what you'll only be? A sinner. But if you can say, I am a saint, and then you gotta believe it, and you gotta walk in it. You gotta declare it and walk in it. There are power in our words. Our God created us in his image and you know how he created the world? With his words. Use your words, speak these things over yourselves. If you're feeling beat down because of an issue, go to the Bible and find the verses. I told you I felt like a failure in these three areas. So I went to the Bible to find the words I needed to speak them over my life. If you're struggling with lust, Go to the Bible, what does it say about lust? If you're struggling with anger, what does this Bible say about anger? If you're struggling with feelings of pride, go to the Bible. If you're struggling with needing to live up to other people's expectations, go to the Bible. Type into Google, what does God say about this? What does the Bible say about this? Read the verses, find one, memorize it. Write it on your computer, write it on your hand, write it on your refrigerator, write it down. Get it into your heart, declare it over yourself. We have something we pass around a lot around here called the 40 I am's. It's a list of 40 verses. I believe you can find them on the sermon notes that you can declare over yourself because the Bible declares them over you. Things like, I am being transformed by the renewing of my mind. That's what I'm declaring over myself right now. That my mind has been the problem, that I've been declaring the wrong things, but I am being transformed by the renewing of my mind. There's another one that says, I am a child of God. There's one that says, I am a daughter of the king. There's one that says, I am free. You can find these verses, declare them over yourselves and begin to become them rather than staying the person you don't wanna be.
and then feeling stuck in that conviction because the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. We're going to worship a declaration now. Prayer team's making their way forward to believe God with you for any issue in your life. I'm going to be available to pray as well. The altar is here so you can kneel in prayer as we sing. If you're feeling like you need freedom, find it in God. Declare these words. Sing them over yourself. i
Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No, the power in the sky or in the earth below, indeed, nothing, nothing, Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is how Paul ends this chapter. Nothing can separate you. Nothing can condemn you. Nothing can take you away from his love. Sometimes I think, Am I the only thing that can separate me from his love? It doesn't list me there. But no, his love never fails. It never gives up. It's only I that forgot. And he'll hunt me down to the ends of the earth. Remember, you are loved. You are his child. No matter what you're going through, what those around you are going through, No matter the season you're in or the storm you're facing, he loves you. He is for you, not against you. Declare it, believe it, and be transformed by it. If you're new to FV Church, thank you so much for joining us. Let's pray before we go. Would you just hold your hands out to heaven towards our Father? Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us so unconditionally, for accepting us through the blood of your son. Let us walk this week in the power of the resurrected blood of Jesus Christ. You are loved. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for worshiping with us, Effie Church. See you guys next week.